Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. And a big thanks to longtime sponsor of this program and this podcast, the Dunlap Champions Club. Obviously, as I speak, we don't know what football season is going to look like. And like most things associated with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, there are plenty of questions and not necessarily answers. So this is what I'd like you to do. Whenever we get some more clarity about football season know this the Dunlap Champions Club will have a plan it's a great venue to take in football if spectators are going to be allowed this fall or whenever football season kicks off there's shade there's food there's access to adult beverages if so inclined and you can believe that they'll have as solid a plan as anything uh, involved at Doak Campbell Stadium in terms of keeping things sanitized as uh, we try to play this football season. So that said, thanks again for their longtime support of this program. I encourage you, if you have questions or want uh, some answers as to what the plan might look like, call 644-1830, option one, for more information or to schedule a tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Sometime I'd like to see you in person, though. This is getting a little old. Everybody's saying that. That was last week's joke and the week before that and the week before that. We're out of jokes. We're out of routine. We're out of shtick, right? Exactly. Before we get to what we do, which is talk sports, I do just – I heard Jeff Cameron give this disclaimer earlier this week. Maybe it was uh, on his Monday show, Keith. And I think this goes for you and I. I. I can't speak for you, but I know for me, and we've talked about this a little bit, the reason I got into sports is because sports is an outlet from everything else that goes on in the real world. And to me, it's just an escape for people. And that's been one of the things that's really hard about COVID-19 and no sports and the pandemic and all those things. And so we've already been in the midst of that. And then when you look at what's happened the last 10 days in our country, I don't want to sound tone deaf by not mentioning it. You and I aren't going to do a full show about it other than to say, at least I can speak for myself, to say it was absolutely wrong what happened in Minneapolis, and and we don't need to opine about the rest of it right now. So I just wanted to mention that first. I'll let you have a a chance to make a comment, too, and, and, and just let our audience know that I think for the most part people are tuning in to hear us talk about sports and not talk about social issues, but it doesn't mean that we're tone deaf and unaware of, of what's going on in our country right now. Uh, and I echo that. Uh, I want to start by first saying that, that uh, you know, the things that go on, at least for me, you know, don't, do not undermine my support of our law enforcement personnel. I'm a huge believer in our police and sheriffs and, 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 and ancillary folks. But obviously the actual events that occurred are very disturbing. Uh, so uh, I think we need to be careful because in this, in this world, sometimes you do get, uh, if you voice a displeasure about something, there's an implication that you're totally against something else. And that's certainly, I think, for me, not the case. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when there are injustices and when there are things that are wrong, you know, you just got to do what's right. And, and uh, I think that's something that we all need to bear in mind and keep in mind. You know, one of the things I learned as I got a little older is it was too hard to remember, you know, things that I made up. It was much easier to just stick with the truth. Other things I've learned is as you've gotten older, as I've gotten older, is it's just better to do what's right and then you don't have to apologize for anything. 
And so uh, as we move forward, I hope we can keep that in mind. That's well said. And not to trivialize this or, or bring it back to Florida State, though that's what we do on this show, Anquan Bolden has been a leader in, in this arena anyway and has been vocal about this. And a, a quote that's making the rounds today uh, or this week from Anquan is, the thing I'm afraid of is allowing this moment to pass without bringing about meaningful change. And that's, that's a pretty heavy and weighty comment from Anquan and he's got the gravitas to, to stay plugged into this whole conversation because that's what he's been doing anyway. He lost a cousin uh, in a situation with, with police in a, in a shooting uh, I believe. And so, so there's Anquan who's a former Florida state football player. And then also involved in this conversation is, is Ben Crump who is an attorney as you know, that's here in Tallahassee, that uh, Ben and I actually went to high school together. He was a year ahead of me, and then he went to Florida State as well. So for what that's worth, and again, that's just a small thing, but it, it, uh, this already hits home to everybody. But in terms of the Florida State community, that's two pretty loud vocal voices in this whole conversation. And I go back to one of your earlier comments, you know, and I echo it also in that sports is a repeat or a, or a, uh, a time away where you can put the real world things on a shelf and then focus on something else for two or three hours and, and give your, your mind an opportunity to relax and to enjoy and to uh, be a diversion. And we don't have that opportunity right now. So I think that also plays into, in my personal opinion, some of the reasons why um, sports are so much needed and maybe, maybe just maybe, Tom, there's a little bit of this that will be a, not necessarily an encouragement, but at least, you know, kind of open the door a little wider for us to get back to those things that do unite us and can potentially bring us together. Well, hopefully there will be meaningful change. And as we shift gears and talking about COVID-19, you and I have talked in many conversations, once we get to whatever, and people hate hearing this term, the new normal is, or back to normal, there will be things that will change in terms of how we function. Zoom meetings, though they won't be all day long, you'll still use them at times because they're better than a phone call. And restaurants are going to change how they serve food, and buffets are probably gone. And there's a lot of things in our world that are going to change. And ultimately, they may all be for the better. So that could be something that comes positive out of this COVID-19 is um, we're a week closer to what we think would be the start of football season. Candidly, Keith, Three weeks ago, and you and I have talked about this, I, would not, I was not optimistic that the season would start on time, but almost every day that has passed since Florida started phase one, really, whatever date that was, early May or mid-May, it feels like we've moved closer to the season actually starting on time to the point now where it feels like that will happen unless all of a sudden the numbers spike to such degree that everybody's going to back it off. That would be the one thing that would, that would pump the brakes. Well, obviously, and I use the term, you've heard me say it before, you, you would make a new decision based on new information, that being some type of spike or increase in either uh, affirmative cases, hospitalizations, et cetera. But I think it goes back to also what we've talked about is someone needed to take and be the first one to kind of put their toe in the water. And as soon as you do that and see how that works, then others can move forward. And then that creates the dialogue that allows you to ferret out the good ideas. So as we sit now versus three weeks ago, you know, we're looking at restaurants at 50% capacity, having, having gone through 25 now to 50. 
conversation is, all right, we got a stadium. Stadium seats X number of people. Maybe we can have it with 25% or 50% occupancy. And that's what prompted the conversations we've had in the past, uh, looking at the model that the Dolphins have put together that Jerry Coots from the Osceola was, was able to ferret out and discuss with us. And it just continues the dialogue. And I think, I think we'll ultimately ferret out the good ideas and find a way to the point where I'm now optimistic and maybe I've gone too far because, you know, thoughts are like a pendulum. They swing to the left, they swing to the right. You get too far either way. But I think we're going to see football kicking off as planned with limited number of people in the stands, maybe, as opposed to being postponed and nobody in the stands. But again, repeating myself, maybe I've let that pendulum go a little too far. We'll see. Let me ask you this, Keith, because, and this is a selfish question. I think about watching a football game with no fans and no band and no cheerleaders and no atmosphere and no everything that makes college football what it is. And it feels to me like watching practice on August 12th. Everybody always asks you and me about going to practice. They always want to go to practice. Practice is nothing like what a Saturday game is. So I realize I'm being selfish, but my question to you is, how much does having a crowd in the stands, how much did it make a difference? When you showed up and there were a lot of empty seats, were you not as motivated? Were you not as energized? Did you notice or did you just get so dialed in that you didn't care? You, you, it affects you in the pregame. So the level of enthusiasm, the level of intensity that you bring to kickoff is what, for me, was motivated by the crowd. Once that first play happened, then you kind of tuned it out. And as I've talked to, and our listeners have heard me say before, you don't really hear the noise. You feel the pressure like a concussion, like a concussion grenade. You, you feel the, the air around you, if you, if you will, get a little heavier when the crowd gets louder. But it obviously had an impact during pregame and leading up to kickoff. So, you know, while it shouldn't be this way, if you had a small crowd, your level of intensity might be at a seven or an eight at kickoff. Whereas if you had a large crowd, that intensity would be at a 10 at kickoff. But again, once, once that happens, that play occurs, you kind of focus in. But yeah, it has an impact. And it certainly, as you and I as broadcasters, has an impact. We've done basketball games when there were very few people in the stands and, and you had no crowd reaction. And it just makes you less excited, for lack of a better word, as opposed to the times when the arena, the stadium, whatever is full, and there's all kinds of stuff going on that accentuate what's happening on the court, the field, or whatever. Total aside to our current conversation, but that's what makes Gene Deckerhoff, in my opinion, among many other things, so great at what he does because you can tune in the fourth quarter and not know if FSU is up three scores or down three scores or know if it's a meaningful game or not. He's still got the same level of energy, and that's always been one of his strong suits. So, again, I know that's a selfish thing to think about, but I do uh, – the spring game is not a perfect analogy because in a spring game you're playing yourself, so there's not extra emotion. But an empty stadium when you're playing Wake Forest – doesn't really excite me. And I know it doesn't excite the people who are counting the dollars on the revenue side over in athletics. So, I mean, they want fans in the stands too. We all do. 
just a question of, of how many we get to. I, I'm more optimistic, though, that we're going to start the season with some percentage of fans in the stands than I was three weeks ago. I am as well. And, and again, as we talked about and as we'll ferret out in the weeks uh, to come, you know, how you go about selecting those people, who they are and how they're, they're screened and how they're situated uh, will become uh, another round and round of discussions. But, yeah, I am optimistic as well that you will at least see uh, somebody. The other thing I was worried about that we really haven't talked about much is what happens if there's nobody in the stands, how do you regulate downside the people on the sidelines? Do you have half as many trainers and half as many managers? And, you know, they were talking about this in one of the articles I read this morning. How do you screen the officials and the guy that holds the first down marker and the ball boys or the ball girls and – you know, does the band play or is it, a, is it a, a, a pep band as opposed to the full band? Do they get to appear at halftime? Do they stay in the stands? I'm repeating myself, obviously, but those are the types of things that all are going to have to be fared out. And I would venture that it'll be different, maybe conference to conference or maybe even team to team. Once again, we're diving deeper. We'll just have to see what happens when the games get here. Hopefully that is early September. This week, Florida State got into voluntary practices. We'll talk about that with our Osceola Insider coming up June 1st, which was Monday of this week, was the day the NCAA allowed the voluntary workouts to resume. So Florida State is, is into those waters now. We'll talk about that with Bob Ferrante coming up. Do want to mention, and related to having a crowd, nobody wants a crowd uh, outside of FSU athletics and Seminole Boosters. Nobody wants a crowd at the games more than local businesses like Madison Social, the folks at College Town, uh, whoever it is. So for their sake, if you haven't been doing so, please continue to, to uh, support Madison Social and your local businesses. They've supported us for a long time. Uh, and they took us back to much simpler times last night, Keith. They had uh, Tiger King trivia. Remember just a couple months ago, Tiger King was all the rage. That's all we talked about. It was a much simpler day just, just about 30 days ago, maybe 45. Well, well, to tell you how simplistic I am, I never even got into Tiger whatever. So I'm, I'm further back than that, I guess. Well, candidly, you could have watched one episode and you, it would have covered about the next six because they were all the same level of really, okay, absurdness. But I did invest the full way, just so you know. So I got that on you. Hopefully, well, I read in- somewhere today, I read somewhere today that the animals, I'm assuming there, there were more than tigers, but the animals associated with that zoo, supposedly, are now going to be cared for, I believe, by the Tampa Zoo or something of that nature. So the the extras in that are being taken care of. Yeah, well, that was the whole plot of the thing was the uh, the Tiger Wars, if you will. And, yes, uh, Joe is now 0 for 2, and his former Tigers will be in Tampa. That is correct. Our show <laughs> will continue after this, and, uh, and we'll talk Florida State football with Bob Ferrante in a moment. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome 
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you, and we will continue the football conversation. Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, is with us. Hey, Bob, how's it going? Doing well, guys. How are you all? Doing well. Here, here's my question for you. What, what is Coach Norvell and staff drinking these days that all of a sudden, boom, phones ringing off the hook, they're getting commitments on Friday, on Saturday, transfers on Monday? What's in the water? I'm not sure that a whole lot has really changed, which is, is kind of weird to say. I, I think this is probably the most unusual recruiting cycle we're going to see in our lifetimes because of coronavirus and the lack of visits. But I, I think the coach's message is resonating with a lot of recruits and transfers. They're using social media. They're using you know videos of Florida State's campus to help sell what they're trying to build here with this program. And the message is clearly getting across. Force State now is 10 commits for the 2021 class. And they're, they're working on some more transfers. I think, I think that's what you have to do as a plan, whether these are transfers you can play in year one. Maybe they have to appeal to have that chance to play in 2020. But really, you have to bring in some guys with some experience as well as those freshmen who can help you build for the future. Bob, one of the things that's being talked about overall because of the virus as it relates to athletics is maybe this will put a little bit of a damper on the uh, uh, the wars in terms of building things and making things. Might it put a little bit of a damper and may it help recruiting budgets if coaches now see that they can afford a longer downtime and they can, they can effectively recruit telephonically or otherwise. And, and maybe that is also something that will help quote unquote budgetary going forward. I think there's some logic there, you know, not, not just in four States case, but a lot of schools will be examining their budgets in every sport. You know, how much do you travel for recruiting? How much do you travel to play an opponent, whether it's non-conference or, or in your conference? This is this is a time of really a lot of self-reflection when it comes to the, the money that you spend. I still think the bottom line is eventually, and who knows when that eventually is, but I think coaches and prospects will want to meet face-to-face. But there have been some stories nationally that, that we've seen where some Power 5 recruiting coordinator suggested to TheAthletic.com that they're frankly not sure that prospects will be allowed on campus this fall. So if fans aren't in the stands, maybe recruits won't even be on the sidelines. Maybe there's no way to test those prospects and and safely bring them around the program. So again, as we said earlier, recruiting has just totally, completely changed. And I think the coaches who can remain in contact over FaceTime, text, phone, through playing video games. However, whatever method you can use, if you can stay in contact with guys and build relationships, you're, you're going to be successful at, at building what you can the best you can. I feel like we're certainly going to enter a period of retraction in the spending out of necessity. But then it'll expand again, whether it's five years, seven years. There's always going to be somebody that's sitting flush with cash, whether it's Alabama or a blue blood and so to think that they're all of a sudden going to stop spending on facilities or whatever it is, I still feel like eventually this will go back to keeping up with the Joneses. 
Because if you look at an athletics budget, so much of it, the justification for the expense, the line item expense, the justification, it's tied to recruiting. Well, such and such school is doing it. So if we don't do it, nobody's coming here. I mean, you could say that about half of the budget line items if you looked at them. What do you think? Can't argue with you. I, I, I agree. It's, it, it's hard for me, though, to think that schools will start construction projects. You know, for example, Florida State is looking at how they're going to have a, a football facility. And it looks like down the road they will still have one separate from Doak Campbell to be adjacent to the practice field. But all those plans of when it will be started, when it will be completed, the fundraising process has changed dramatically as boosters are looking at their own finances and their own businesses and how much are they comfortable pledging. And these pledges, you know, Tom, as you well know, they're, they're pledges over time. Maybe it's a five-year gift. Maybe it's even longer. But a lot of these pledges you know, do they stay solid for the long haul? Because things change and this economy has changed so much. I, I still think from a football standpoint, Doak Campbell Stadium is a great recruiting tool. When you see that building from the outside, when you stand in Coach Norvell's office, it, it's about as good as it gets. Is it the picturesque beauty of, say, others around the SEC? Does Florida State have everything to compete in that arms race? Well, well clearly not. But I, I don't feel like what Florida State has is, is all that bad either. I, I agree with that. Same comment or same structure, but a little bit tangent. What, what is the attraction for all these transfers? I mean, obviously, Norvell and his squad, his uh, uh, staff rather, are doing something right. In, in terms of the number of kids that have been exposed to and signed with someone else, but are now choosing to come to FSU. Best theory I have right now is depth chart and Norvell's staff has a history of developing guys and, and getting them on the next level. So I think you're, you're showing guys there's a path to playing time. You can fight for that job, not guarantee. I don't think Mike Norvell or his staff are, are going to guarantee starting time, playing time. But clearly, if you look at that Florida State depth chart, there are openings for, for guys who have experience and can come in immediately. And we've seen Coach Norvell, offensive and defensive side of the ball, he's put guys in the NFL at Memphis, guys who he recruited who were no stars. He's put them into the NFL. And, and that says a lot. I, I think it's a – and, of course, it goes along with everything else that Florida State has to offer. Great weather, great campus good coaches, very good facilities. I still argue very good facilities, even without a football standalone complex. I think the whole package is there. And again, it does say something when all these transfers, not just see the playing time, but they're buying into what Coach Norvell and his staff is, is saying. They're buying into the overall concept of how they're going to improve the athlete and how they're going to you know, give them a chance to, to, you know, get a graduate degree or to move on to the NFL. Your point about the facilities, Bob, I'm thinking about how it juxtaposes with this time where the student athletes have been home and the concern was, do they have anywhere to work out? And so now they're back in what, 
maybe it's not the nicest house on the block, but it's still a pretty nice house in a pretty good neighborhood. I mean, there's worse problems to have than to have the facilities that FSU currently has. Back to the transfers. I think there's nine transfers right now, counting Jerry and Jones, who came in from Mississippi State earlier this week. How many of those are grad transfers and or eligible based on already having an appeal filed? Right. So I think that's a key question. And we don't know how many appeals have truly been filed. You know, for example, Jay Sean Corbin, the running back from Texas A&M, he had to file an appeal and he won that appeal. He's eligible, even though he's not a graduate. That's one example. The Florida International transfer, Devontae Love-Taylor, he was a grad transfer and immediately eligible. Force is still pursuing another offensive lineman, Jared Williams from Houston. He's looking at Baylor, Miami, Florida State. He would be a grad transfer available to contribute immediately. Some of these guys are coming from Mississippi State. They have a case if they choose to appeal because of Mike Leach's insensitive tweet that he removed. That is an argument that some players can use to say, there was a reason why I left Mississippi State. It was because of my coach. And it's very similar to what happened at, at Georgia, where Justin Fields decided, because of the comments in the stands, he felt like he had an argument to go to Ohio State. So there are a lot of appeals. We're going to see how many of these are heard. There is no one-time transfer exemption that was granted by the NCAA that's been tabled until I believe January of 2021. So for some of these guys, it is definitely a waiting game, and they're just going to have to see how it plays out. Bob, along that same lines, and again, just your opinion, I have one as well. I would think, given the situation, that the NCAA would be at least unofficially a little more lenient on granting the waivers than maybe they've had in the past, given everything that's going on. You like to think so, for sure. I was a little bit surprised. Um, you know, Corbin's waiver was granted pretty early on, especially considering, for example, Jordan Travis got his approval. I believe that was mid-August, right before the team went down to IMG Academy last year. So, you know, Jordan Travis had to go through the entire offseason waiting and not really knowing if, with every practice, he was going to be an on-field contributor or not. I've always felt like the NCAA should – impose a deadline on itself for all of the committees within the conferences and say, okay, by July 1, by July 15th, in fairness, we need to let a student athlete know, will he or she be able to do more than just practice? Will they be able to play? I wonder if that will ever come. That's really a consideration for some smarter people than me. But I, I, I wasn't happy with how the Jordan Travis thing was handled because, yes, that was an in-conference transfer, but the fact that it took just so long, it felt like even with the cooperation that Florida State and Louisville had, and they were on the same page all along, they kept in constant communication, that one in particular just dragged on too much to where if, if I'm Jordan Travis's dad or brother, I'm, I'm wondering, hey, why? Really, why is this taking so long? Please explain it to me but you know to Jordan's credit he was very patient with it he was very appreciative of the support he got from Florida State and everyone and in his case he was able to play and contribute and and it was a big contributing factor last season this is going to sound like I'm disagreeing with you and, and I guess I am but I don't ever want to give the NCAA a deadline 
because they'll just use that against you. I want it to be open-ended so they can make a decision on August 18th instead of saying, well, you know, it's July 7th. We got a July 15th deadline. We're not going to be able to rule on this. So, Jordan, you're not playing this year. You know, I can see that logic, but to, uh, to quote Tom Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. No, you're supposed to sing it. There's no way I'm singing it, man. <laughs> you got to quote a Tallahassee mus- musician or band, which, you know, it leaves Creed, Jake Owen, not a lot there for you, I guess. Tom and the Cats. Don't forget Tom and the Cats. <laughs> Crooked Shoes. Jim so, Morrison? Yeah, yes. If you're, yeah, go to Jim Morrison. He counts. I mean, he's in the, the, uh, the videos from the semester he was here, you know, the Welcome to Campus video. Um, going back to the, the NCA, though, Keith, in your comment, one thing that happened last week, and it, it was out there. I don't know how many people paid attention to it, but the Power Five conference commissioners drafted a letter to Congress asking for them to intervene and create federal legislation in regard to the NIL, which we knew was coming because they can't, we can't have 50 states with 50 different sets of rules. But what we don't know is how that will ultimately play out given antitrust concerns and all that. I mean, I don't know if there's an appetite for that or not. It almost seems like the conferences and the NCAA are dealing with too much. I wonder how much time they have to truly spend on these finer point questions of NIL right now. Nobody's, I think the one thing we can agree on here is the need for national uniform legislation. I'm not sure if it's better if the NCAA and the Power Five conferences do it or if Congress does it. I'm not sure who I trust in something so complex as this. But it's coming down the road. It's coming very fast. It's July of 2021. It's, what, 13 months away before Florida would start enabling any student athlete to earn money from name, image, and likeness. Governor DeSantis has not signed that bill, but we still feel at some point in June he's going to do so. I think uniformity is really important in this issue, regardless of how you feel about it. I, that's, that's the one thing that I think we all can probably agree on. Dennis Dodd wrote an article last week that uh, talked about we're being we're closer to the Power Five just moving on from the NCAA. I don't, I don't know if that'll – and basically creating their own structure. We'll see – uh, what what comes out of the next couple of years, but it's certainly certainly a lot of questions are being asked. I mean, questions like, and this is not what we cover on this show, but if Florida A and M is making a decision to move out of the MEAC and move to the SWAC, I mean, that's that's a pretty damn big deal. I mean, they've looked at so those kind of questions are getting asked. And I've looked at the Florida A and M case from from a distance, but you know, if, if the money is there and your budget at FAMU, we're talking about a budget of, I think, well under 10 million for all of the Rattler sports. If, if there's a roadmap to more revenue, by all means, that Florida and M should take that route. I, I don't know if, if we're going to see a true breakaway between the Power Five and the NCAA. I know a lot of people are forecasting it. I think was it about five years down the road when all these TV deals are, are up and there's an opportunity, there's a window for some of that discussion. It's, it's quite possible. I, I just, I can't see how all the chips come together. What are, what are the advantages and disadvantages? I, I think honestly, there's been enough in, in 2020 for us to kind of wrap our heads around between 
you know, coronavirus and, and inequality and, you know, just trying to figure out if, if we can get back on a field and play a game. I, I'm, I'm not sure I can wrap my head around 2025 and what the best decisions are, you know, down that far down the road. I think the one thing that is the result of the events of 2020 is if the percentage was X that the power five would leave the NCAA, it's now two X, three X, four X as we move forward, because one of the offshoots of all this is going to be those lower schools are going to have reduced budgets. They're going to cut programs and the big boys will still be able to hopefully hold their own. And the difference between the haves and the haves nots are going to get greater. And that's only going to mean more pressure to break away, be autonomous and do what you want to do and not have to do what they want to do. And we want to do. And in many regards, follow the money. You know, that's, that's going to be the trail that leads us to a lot of these answers. And I, I think if schools can find that there's more money by breaking away and the Power Fives either consolidate, maybe the Pac-12 becomes part of another conference, maybe some schools splinter away. Who knows how all this is going to play out? But the TV money is so huge these days and so valuable for all these institutions that's really where the answer lies is, is follow the money trail and we'll start getting some answers in the coming years. You know, one of the things guys that, that folks are worried about in, in power, those that are in control and making the decisions is it may not be who has the most money, but who takes the least amount of cuts. And that's a whole nother world we haven't seen in a long, long time in college athletics. It definitely feels like there's going to be a correction to the mean coming up here in the next couple of years. To your point about following the money, Bob, that feels what, like what's leading us and is what's leading us to, hey, maybe football season will kick off on time. Let's follow the money. we got to save the budget here somehow. So Florida State's been back on campus this week. Some student athletes, I'm not sure how many, with voluntary workouts. What kind of update can you give us on how they're handling that? Uh, the procedures in terms of getting in and out of the building and, and testing and, and, and whatever else is going on right now? You know, I, I think Florida State's being cautious. They are the first ACC school to, to start these voluntary off-season workouts. And, you know, before they go into the Moore Athletic Center, there's a temperature and a wellness check. They are, um, they've already been tested for coronavirus at least once, some of them possibly twice. How many players are particip participating in the workouts is a question that we don't know. We've asked. Um, I, it is, this sounds very strange, but because of NCAA rule, a lot of institutions can't directly comment on what is going on with these voluntary workouts. So the bits and pieces are, are things that we're kind of collecting here and there. It sounds like in the weight room, players are staying at some distance, we think they're working out in smaller groups, likely in position groups together. And there are walkways where, you know, guys can, can walk in a certain order, sort of like we're now doing at Publix, so that there is some natural um, common sense distancing. Again, guys are wearing masks. And I, I think Forest State's trying to take every precaution as we're moving toward football. I will say, as far as other sports, football is the only sport that is back on campus right now. Basketball is still on the sidelines as well as every other, say, sport from the spring or um, other sports in the fall. I, I should note one exception is golf. 
Um, talked with Jamie Lee last week, and he's one of the golfers on the men's team, and, and he's been able to play the Seminole Legacy course. So right now, football on campus, golf sort of off campus um, where they're able to play the, the Seminole Legacy course. One thing I want to mention, guys, and I haven't done all the research, but we keep using this term voluntary workouts. They're not voluntary. Number one, peer pressure. And number two, they are allowed to be supervised for eight hours a week by the strength and conditioning coach, and they get two hours with their segment coach. It just can't be on the on-field instruction. So uh, to be fair to the players, because any of them that are listening to this are going to be thinking that the fans think they're doing it on their own. Uh, there's a little more I need to be there and must be there than maybe that term involuntary uh, would, would insinuate. Now, the seven-on-seven seven stuff, if they go to that, yeah, it's orchestrated more by the upperclassmen and that type of thing. But uh, this is not truly a voluntary uh, – I said involunt involuntary, I apologize. It's not a truly voluntary situation. But uh, that, that's meant for more levity than anything. Voluntold is the word. Voluntold. There you go. As we wrap up, Bob, because it's been a big week on the recruiting trail, and I commented on that, but I didn't ask you for any specific thoughts. So, again, Keith and I don't wade uh, very deep into these waters, but Florida State got a commit from Joshua Burrell, a receiver. Jordan Eubanks, a linebacker from Denton, Texas. Jackson West, a tight end from Huntsville, Alabama. That's on top of getting Fabian Lovett, who at one point was in the boat, then was out of the boat to announce he is coming to FSU, transferred D-tackle, and Jerry and Jones, DB, both those last two guys from Mississippi State. Anybody out of those five that resonates more or jumps off the page more than another, what's the most significant out of the happenings of the last week? You know, I think long-term, you know, Joshua Burrell is a 6'2 receiver from South Carolina. He looks like that kind of big play prospect. I, I really enjoyed watching his film. And, you know, a, a couple guys said he kind of reminds them of a, of a Ron Dugan's type, you know, that bigger body physical can block. I, I'm curious about a guy like Fabian Lovett because he does play defensive tackle, and that's a position where Florida State is quite deep. But let's say he gets the waiver. And, you know, I, I feel strongly, as a lot of people do, that you have to have a deep rotation of defensive tackles. You know, those guys are going to have to go four deep, maybe even five or six deep if you have a, an injury here and there. And with a condensed season, potentially without some, some bye week, you, you might be playing guys a lot of reps, maybe more reps um, than, than possibly normal. But to have depth at defensive tackle and Fabian Lovett could really provide that right away to complement, you know, a, a Marvin Wilson, um, Corey Durden. Um, you know, you know they, they, they've got some big bodies there already, but you can never have too many. And I think that's really going to be a, a critical guy moving forward is do you have those guys in the event of, an injury that's short-term, a game or two here or there, or, or maybe even long-term where it's a season-ending type of injury. you got to have those guys on the offensive and defensive lines. Bob, we appreciate the insight as always. Our Osceola insider who joined us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Good to catch up, Bob. Take care, guys. Thank See you, Bob. as always. Folks, if you're interested, subscribe to the Osceola. You can go to theosceola.com, get more information, 30-day free trial right now. Check it out. Lots of uh, intel and info that uh, you should put between your ears. Don't forget the Thursday Thursday evening Zoom 
what would be the proper term to use those? Happy hour, I think. I think well, it's, it's yeah, after hours. Happy hour has a, has a connotation. If we're going to be in the new normal, we got to come up with a new term. I'll, I'll assign that to you, Mr. Block. We'll, we'll bump that to our marketing staff, and we'll see if we can get an answer by the time we come back. Stay with us here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Bob Ferrante for joining us. It's it's been the same conversation, Keith. We keep talking about it, but it, we are we are creeping closer. I want to I want to ask you about this. We, you and I have talked about NIL a little bit, and NIL has taken a total backseat. Bob's right. I mean, we're a year away from that going into effect in the state of Florida, but there's so much else going on. We have you know nobody's really looked at how the sausage is made on that front. I know you're not a, a proponent of it overall, but how do you how do you reconcile that in your mind with now we're in a place where Basically, we've got players who aren't paid, who in the scenario with no fans in the stands, we're telling them that it's, uh, you know, they're just pawns in the game. They're not as important as the fans because we're going to make the fans stay home for their health's sake, but we're going to trot you out here to play a game because we need the revenue. Seems to be an argument in favor of the players in this whole conversation and the backdrop of getting compensated for their name, image, and likeness. Agreed. Um, there is a, a detach. Uh, and a disconnect. Uh, but again, I go back and our, our listeners will be very familiar with this. I'm parroting things I've said all along. You know, when I was playing and I recognize that was four decades ago, I got my education, I got my room and my board and I got my books paid for. I was compensated for my effort. We've just ratcheted up what the compensation should be given the fact that the TV money is so great. Um, the problems associated with NIL, and we saw that this week when a number of uh, what we call the Olympic coaches put together and penned a letter to the NCAA saying, don't forget about these complications as it relates to these other sports that are not revenue generators, particularly sports that are associated with Olympics or track and field, where those Olympic sports personnel can have a career, uh, soccer being another one of them, because it's being recognized in today's financial and economic times. You know, if, if I'm a, a business person and I've got a budget for marketing and advertising, and I'm normally giving that money to the institution so I can be on the billboard and I can be on the radio broadcast and I can be on the basketball side, I may choose to take that money and give it to the best female socket player in Tallahassee or the best baseball player in Tallahassee, because if they do their tweets and if they're available for a podcast and if they're doing other things, they're in my mind going to reach more people than a billboard in a stadium that doesn't have anybody in it. So in that sense, if true, that's actually going to take money away from the university and give it to an individual athlete. 
don't know how that's going to play out, but there are certainly those on those levels and then those sports that are concerned about that. I mean, we got a great one here um, with, with Lee, our golfer. I mean, he, he is a tremendous golfer. Uh, and, and I could see someone saying, you know, he'll ha- he, he's being watched by folks and they know who he is. And I'd much rather spend my 10 or $25,000 supporting him than supporting Florida state athletics. We'll see. Well, Dana Castellanos on the soccer side when she was here, I mean, she could have had a Nike. She's another great example. She she could have had a worldwide Nike commercial while she was in school. I mean, if she could be compensated for it. So where the institutions can and probably will try to push back on that is not allowing whoever the student athlete is to use university marks, i.e. the Seminole head or the spear, if we're talking about an FSU person. That would be one way they could they could push not licensing rights to the video to show their highlights. I mean, those are the year. But that said, if you're Cam Akers, people in Tallahassee are going to know who Cam Akers is, whether or not he's in an FSU uniform or showing highlights of him. So he's still he's going to be able to monetize who he is with or without the marks. And right now, this is all speculation on all our parts. I mean, we're going to need a, a body of time and a, a body of work to ferret out, as we say, the details, because that's, that's where everything is. The other thing that's interesting, and I'll just, I'll just say it, but, you know, who in the world would think to themselves, man, we need to go to Congress and we need to get them to help us. I'm here from, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. <laughs> well, the state of Florida, you can say what you want, but they elevated the timeline for the NCAA by passing a law that takes place starting in uh, July of 2021. They, 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 uh, they saw California and they raised them two years. They raised the stakes there for the NCAA to go ahead and, and come up with some guidance on this. Again, and if DeSantis, if DeSantis signs that bill, which I, I'm not in the governor's office, but I've, been, I've, read, I've read that he is inclined to do it. That is a very, very definite line in the sand, isn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. It's just been a back burner issue because the, it feels like everything is back burner because the front burner is when is the season going to start? Front burner in sports. The front burner in our world has changed over the last uh, 10 days, certainly. Anyway, uh, we got one more segment to go. Keith, I want to give a shout out to Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Uh, Ron and folks, thank you for your continued support. Uh, been a tough time, as we've talked about on this show, for local businesses, but they've been serving the Big Ben since the mid-90s. Uh, I actually got outside, pulled out a paintbrush, stained my deck this past weekend, Keith. So every now and then, I, I do do it myself. Not often, but sometimes it happens. Your problem, Tom, your problem is that based on what I know, in your case, a DIY becomes an OMG. That is correct. Sometimes it's an LOL. It just depends on how it goes. We'll take a break, come back, and do the next segment of Front Row Knowles right after this. Sun beat down, I had the radio on. I was driving, trees went by, me and Dell were singing, a little runaway, I was flying. 
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Last segment here on Front Row Knowles. Thanks to Bob Ferrante for joining us again. Once again, I encourage you to subscribe to the Osceola. Keith, a few minutes to go here. All signs continue to point to to getting back on the field, but I want to go back. When you were 18 to 22, you don't have to name names, but starting with you, first of all, would you have had concerns or about getting out there? If your son was on the FSU football or any roster right now, would you have concerns about putting on the pads and getting in there in the middle of COVID-19? None, and I don't have any concerns now. The biggest problem, me personally, this is Keith Jones personally, not speaking for Front Row Knowles, not speaking for Tom or anyone else. The biggest problem I have is this virus doesn't seem to affect young people to the degree that that, uh, causes me personal concern. And the issue is really isolating the kids and keeping them away from those that are vulnerable, the older those with underlying health issues, and those types of things. So how do you isolate the team or keep them from being a carrier? I mean, it's, it's like when I was young and in business, I had a boss one time that says that uh, Jones doesn't suffer from ulcers, but he's a carrier. He creates them because I got I to gotta take care of the mistakes that he makes. And I don't mean to make light of the virus. I was just simply saying that 18 to 22-year-olds are not – those that have been at least majorly or majorly impacted by this virus. It's them being a carrier and giving it to someone else. Now that's a very narrow mindset and you could be critical of me if you want to, but you asked me a question, I'm answering it. So no, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all, but just like I was now, just like you have been, I've had one contact with my mom in the last 10 weeks and she's 84 years old. And it was six feet. It was with a mask. I drove four hours down and four hours back to spend an hour with her just so I could check on her. That would be my concern. I would not be concerned for myself. I would be concerned about me potentially impacting someone else. And I think that's the question because for the student athletes, so does that mean that the answer is they just don't go home to see their family? Or if they do, they've got to self-quarantine for two weeks before they go or once they get home? Well, and that's one of the arguments you're going to start hearing made about why for this year, as much as we hate it, maybe we shouldn't have a bye week. And you're also hearing institutions saying when they break for the Thanksgiving break, because they know kids are going to go home, that the last two or three or four weeks of class will be done remotely. In other words, there's the potential for it to be face-to-face until either what's called the winter break or the um, Thanksgiving break. And then it'll be distance learning after that because people are people. You get an 18-year-old, they're away from mom and dad for eight or nine or 10 weeks. They get a weekend or a week off. What are they going to do? And so all that plays into the discussion and needs to be, needs to be, uh, there needs to be dialogue on. And we need to try to figure out at least, although there'll be a not, never be 100% consensus, at least enough agreement as we move forward. To be clear, what you just suggested about breaking at Thanksgiving and going virtual, 
FSU has not said they will do that. We'll know more about FSU's plan in the next week or two. But several, mean, several institutions have across the country. Notre Dame yeah, probably and I being the I'm most sorry, prominent. I did not mean to imply that FSU was. No, was, and was you, did, you didn't. I'm just clarifying that, that, just, sure. that that's, we'll know more about FSU's plan here in the, in the next couple of weeks of what it looks like. And uh, I think we're all, we're all just tired of being in limbo. But this is what it is. We haven't even talked at all about what the on-field may look like. What's your thoughts on having a six-week training camp, by the way? A guy from the two-a-days era. I, I don't think it's necessary. Now, if you had not been able to have these workouts starting June 1st, June 8th, June 15th, yeah, I can understand that. If you were first bringing kids back to campus, you know, the end of July, 1st of August, yeah, I could see needing five or six weeks. But if you're going to allow them to have these eight hours worth of instruction and, and to allow them to have the voluntary part, which is the seven-on-sevens, I just don't think the six weeks are necessary. Part of the, for me, part of the reason for that, Tom, is that coaches want to try to recapture some of those lost spring practices. You know, Florida State only had three of them. Clemson had nine. So they're trying to get some of those contact weeks back or contact days back. I think you just got to shutter that and forget about it. They probably will go with five or six weeks, but I personally don't think it's necessary if you've been back on campus and working out. Well, you know this, Keith. If you do that, you're going to run into some heavy legs and some sore arms for quarterbacks and all kinds of issues well before the season is over. If you go six weeks like that and then go into a season with no bye weeks, that's not a good recipe. Not at all. Not at all. And I'm sorry, I don't mean this as badly as it sounds, but coaches are coaches. And if they're going to err, they're going to err on the side of overworking. And uh, I just don't want to give those Cowboys any rope. You and I have had this discussion, and I get it. Every coach in America, in every sport, at every level, wants another practice or two before the first game because there's things they got to clean up. But you know what? If everybody has the same rules and the same amount of practice time, at some time, some point, you just got to go. Well, and that's what will happen. And I don't, don't quote me. I don't know the numbers because I haven't kept up with them. But if we had never had the virus, Florida State's fall camp would have consisted of, let's say, 22 workouts, three of them in shorts, 10 of them in full pads, and no two-a-days. Well, now you say, all right, instead of getting 22 practices, you get 27 practices. And four of them have to be in shorts, and 11 of them can be in pads, and you get two days to have two sessions in a day or something. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It's not rocket science. You just dictate what it is and then measure everybody and hold them accountable. You and I talk about it every week, so clearly it's not rocket science. Keith, we're out of time. We'll do this again next week. Love to. Look forward to it. Thanks, as always, folks, for tuning in right here to Front Row Knowles. Breaking the wall.